0: Hi, this is Jimmy. Welcome to an epic die-hard edition of Shoulders of Giants. Just a quick warning: the sound on this recording goes spotty on a couple of occasions, but we've cleaned it up as best as we can, and we hope that that won't prove too distracting for you. So grab yourself a cuppa, make fists with your toes, and welcome to the potty, pal.
1: I love it. <clears throat> I'm all right, Jimbo. I'm all right. I'm, I've, I've got my second double bag of uh, of tea ready to go. Oh, so yeah, geez. this is my fourth cup, basically. Yeah, it's a double bag in both cups. I'm, I'm loving it. So this might be uh, a hyperactive one. Even that one was kind of totally crash and burn. How are you, Jimbo? I'm very happy. Good it to see you. Sure.
0: Oh man, yeah, I, that wasn't a delay by the way, that was just me delaying, responding to you for some reason, I had to swallow <laughs> before I responded.
1: <laughs> There's a lot to swallow around here, I'll give you that. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh man,
0: yeah, crumbs, Sheps, I've, I'm very interested, You you actually left quite an open playbook for this week, I'm excited.
1: Lovely, all right, well let's just jump in then. Uh Witty Banter, Witty Banter, Double Witty Banter. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Uh Jimbo, how are you today? What podcast is this?
0: Okay, this happens to be Shoulders of Giants, our uh, uh well, our, our 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 podcast for all things uh, prequel sequel and celebration of uh of existing IP that we 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 take, we butcher, and we we uh <laughs>
1: Sometimes add a little... We mangle of magic. in a loving way. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, I got it. Totally we nice. mangle in a totally loving nice.
0: way, um, like an elderly uh, uh-huh. neighbour on Ramsey Street, um, Shepi, because I think Mrs Mangle turned into a goodie.
2: Yes,
1: of course. Badge, of course. <laughs> All right, yes. Um, Mrs Mangle, Nell, as some of us call her, um, did turn into a goodie. I don't know if that has any bearing on what we're talking about today. Um, But yes, you're right. Mrs. (laughs) Mangle did become a goodie after initially. She was like Donald Fisher in Home and Away. She started off as like, you know, a proper villain and she ended up, well, you know, it's the Anakin Skywalker journey, which is to say, cop out.
0: Credit to the Neighbors Home
1: and Away writers. Like, that's
0: every day. Every day, bloody Norman Fisher and Mrs. Mangle for like five days a week, over like a decade. That's even more epic than Skywalker, arguably, I'm going to say. What an arc. That's all. That's all I wanted to say. (laughs) Donald. Donald.
1: Donald Fisher. You said Norman Fisher because he's got the same haircut as Harry... You called him Norman because he's got the same haircut as Norman Osborne, but it's (laughs) Donald Fisher. And you have to edit all of this out because I don't want to be living in a world where I'm associated with someone who doesn't know that it's Donald Fisher. But nonetheless... (laughs) Uh, good stuff <laughs> so this is a podcast all about uh, sequels prequels what ifs in a loving Joe mangle sort of way so I'm, I'm all about that Jimbo um, it was my suggestion for this week because I wanted to ask you just one question which I texted you and you said save it for the podcast and so the whole reason we're doing this is because of this one question question that I wanted to ask, which I'm going to ask, after I say what the film I chose for a sequel was this week, which is to say a sequel to Die Hard. Um, And you're right, I left it very open as to any interpretation. At the moment, in this world, we are living in a film with five Die Hard films. The the fifth one, I know you haven't seen, and it is in my sub-special category of films that are so bad They're they're not even so bad. They're good bad. They're just bad. Um, Batman and Robin is like that for me. Star Trek Nemesis, Rocky V, Crystal Skull. They're ones that I just, you know, I'm not angry that they exist. I'm just disappointed. Um, And Die Hard 5 really is terrible. Die Hard 4 is better if you've seen Die Hard 5. Uh, um, Die Hard 3 is great. Die Hard 2 is one of those ones like Ghostbusters 2 that does follow the same pattern a bit too strongly, but I love Die Hard 2. And then you've got Die Hard. And also, I'm just going to say that right now today, and this is dating what we're talking about, but right now today, I heard that the prequel film to Die Hard, which has been talked about for at least a few years, where you were going to have a 1970s origin story for John McClane in New York, intercut Godfather Two style with Bruce Willis phoning it in, and sort of like, hey, what's going on? Uh, with a young actor playing young McLean. Point being that the origin story for John McLean really is diehard because, you know, he <laughs> hasn't had any grand adventure until diehard. He's been a cop, but it would be a massive step down. And you know, the film would have young McLean saving New York or doing something of a relative larger action scale that would totally devalue his whole Fisher, you know, like out of his depth type thing in the original Die Hard. So thank God, but today it was announced that it's not happening and the world reaped a sigh of relief. I will just say Die Hard, my perspective, I love it. It is officially my favorite action film and that's kind of like saying, you know, Empire is my favorite Star Wars, which Empire is my favorite Star Wars, so there you go. But yeah, it's great. So Die Hard's Die Hard is pretty untouchable. Um, I do, like I said, have a lot of time. I really love Die Hard 2. I have, Jimmy, a special relationship with Die Hard 3. Now this isn't Die Hard with a vengeance. This is Die Hard 3. Take your mind back to, I'm gonna say 1992. Ross Abbott was tearing up the BBC. No one, not even Davro, was reaching the giddy heights of Russ Abbott at that point. And there was a sketch which I watched in 92, 92 Mark cube. I mean, it was at least three years before Die Hard with a Vengeance. And they did a sketch on the Russ Abbott, either the laughter show or Mad House or whatever. I think it was still with Les Dennis. It was before he went off um, and did a Paul Whitehouse Um, but the sketch was Die Hard 3 because it was before Die Hard with a Vengeance but it was um, it was obviously Russ Abbott as McLean and it was Les Dennis as Gruber I believe and it was other people as like Alexander Gushka Gushka and it was all very very nice and it starts off and it's up Nakatomi Plaza but you know proper BBC wobbly sets and um, you've, got, you've got Les Dennis with his, like, you know, cool Euro trash beard as pure Gruber Jr. And a couple of, uh, you know, like, um, hostages, probably Emberg was one of them. Um, and, and then basically, uh, McLean Abbott swings in through the window on a fire hose, and it's him. But it's like, die hard, free. Bruce. <laughs> Is back and he swings in and he's wearing the vest and everything. But it's Russ Abbott as Bruce Forsyth as John McClain, and he's like, (laughs) and it's amazing. And one of the Euro trash henchmen says to Les Dennis Gruber. You want me to take him out? He said, oh, take me out, take me out. Oh, you haven't even bought me a drink yet. And the audience just lost their fucking shit. And <laughs> that, that I just wanted to throw out there because that, for me, is the ultimate Die Hard 3. And I will never, no one will ever be able to beat that in terms of a sequel. That's the <laughs> ultimate sequel to a Die Hard film. And it's worth a shout out because it was amazing.
0: It's a great bloody gag, Sheppy. It's a great bloody gag.
1: <laughs> and by the way... You know, it was shit, but, you know, Bruce is back and, oh, I know, you can just imagine them all high-fiving around the writers' table when it was like, oh, and it's Bruce Foresight, yeah.
0: You know when they, they, they landed like a, a go-to-lunch punchline moment, you know, a brilliant end of something? That's like the kind of the inverse and opposite, and maybe my favorite version of it, exactly like you say. Like, they think of the Bruce Forsyth reveal after all of that setup of the time I <laughs> wobbly set. And they go,
2: that's going to be amazing.
0: And they go to lunch, they get shit faced. I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Then they get to filming. They're like, we never completed the script to be here. We just got the window yeah. gang with Bruce
2: and
1: and it's that, yeah, what do we do? <laughs> it's like, is this your wife? And it's Bella Emberg. Oh, oh, you can kill her. You can kill her. It's fine. I'm going home. Yeah, it was, uh, it was special. So anyway, we can't do a Die Hard pod without me mentioning the best Die Hard film, which is the Ross sketch of Die Hard 3. So there you go. Do you have a personal take? For me, I'm just going to say it goes, personal order, one, two, three and then a bit of a drop to, well, a lot of a drop to four, then a chasm to five. Um, And I believe also that you haven't seen With a Vengeance for a very long time, so I don't know how that colours it. And I know you haven't seen five, and that's for the good. Um, I will say this, just whilst, because there is a bit of a delay, so I want to get it all out, I'll say this. Die Hard 1 and 2 and 3 is a trilogy which has the distinction, and maybe it's the only trilogy, um, where you and I saw each of those films for the first time together, which is exciting. We rented out Die Hard. The guy in the shop said to me, Jimbo, do you remember?
0: Oh, God, no.
1: (laughs) He asked how old I was. No, actually, no, he asked, are you 18?
0: I'm not remembering this bit of the 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 myth, the urban legend, Sheppy, the 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 canon. <laughs> Come on.
1: My answer was no, but I'll be fourteen in October.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man.
1: So are you seriously telling me you don't remember that? Because that up until relatively recently was a like you forgot your change on being in a being cool mood sort of thing for us. Yeah, but I'm 14 in October It was a massive thing for us for about thirty years, but I guess you've finally forgotten it. But so that's that's heartwarming. I, I like that. That that's nice. Jeffy, I um, do
0: not think we've no, talked about that in at least, I don't know, twenty. Like honestly. No, I, I, I think I you've don't, carried I don't it longer. Think so.
1: I I disagree. I disagree. I will say it's been at least ten years, but I don't think that's an excuse at this stage. (laughs) But also, all right. So we saw Die Hard. Do you remember where we saw Die Hard? um, In your in your
2: lounge, man.
0: Uh, Absolutely, that was going to be something I shared. Yeah, yeah, amazing. I love that. It was one of my favourite ever. Probably the best movie I've ever seen in your house. How about that?
1: Nice. And you saw the Ruskies in my house. So that, my friend, is praise indeed.
0: <laughs> and then we tried, I remember we, I, I think now, we were keen to go and watch Die Hard 2. We watched it when Die Hard 2 was in the cinema. That's my memory of it. And that we really wanted to get in because Die Hard 2 was at 15 in the cinema, 18 on video from memory. And so 15 to your earlier point.
1: We saw Die Hard 2 at the cinema
0: no 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 what I'm saying is we would like I remember us just specifically having a shall we try and tiptoes into the cinema or not and see Die Hard 2 sacrilegiously before we'd even see Die Hard 1 I remember you me and Manfi from school were playing football and talking about it in your like not your back garden but that area that was outside your garden and then uh and then we opted not to. Right. We got some chips and managed to somehow, I guess, get your mum to get Die Hard out for us.
1: <laughs> it sounds very, very unlikely, I have to say, that I would ever have seriously considered sneaking in to go and see Die Hard 2. Um, that sounds like I, I wouldn't have the jelly for that. And I'll also say it goes against my nature to see a sequel before the first one. That runs me the wrong way. So... But I think it, this, this never happened, I'll say that. So there you go, so we're both totally misremembering our own past or each other's past, but I respect that. Do you remember where we were? I remember Die Hard 2 was at the cinema when we saw Die Hard, because we knew it was set at an airport, and in Die Hard they say, you know, I want to be going, flown to the airport, and you say, ah, that's where the sequel could have gone. And you know, it, it would have just like, ended on a cliffhanger type thing. So so there you go. So um, we watched Die Hard together at my house. Absolutely right. Die Hard 2, do you remember where we watched that?
0: To be honest, no, Sheppy. And I did, I, I'll I, tell I, you. Yeah.
1: We watched yeah. Uh, Die Hard 2, I believe, and I'm not 100, in uh, your bedroom in Elevy um, Close. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I remember specifically when, at the end, spoilers, when the petrol is um, flowing out of the plane and... He's about to blow up the plane, and I remember saying, "I hope he lights a match." And you said, "I hope he doesn't." And then he lit the lighter and said, "You big gay motherfucker!" And the plane blew up. And you said, "That was great." And I said, "What the fuck? Ten seconds ago, that's not what you were saying." And you said, "I like how the flame went up in the air when the plane took off. And I went fair play when it like you know went followed the stream of the petrol." So there you go, that's just a random memory.
0: <laughs> well, again, I mean, I've got to say, I have zero memory of that. And I wonder what 14 year old Jimmy, that idiot, was thinking would be a better way to blow that plane up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they run out, it cuts to four hours later, and the, <laughs> the engine, there's a temple of doom, and the whoop, boop, boop, and they're like, <laughs> oh no. And, and it just ends. It's amazing. I would love that ending, that would be hysterical. I'm all for it. Um Die Hard 2, I want to quickly mention, because I know I'm going to forget. I know I'm doing a lot of talking, but that is because there is a delay, and so I just want to do it, otherwise I'll lose my chain of thought. Um, but I will say this, Die Hard 2 has another uh, sort of special memory for me concerning us watching it, was we went to go and see Pulp Fiction at the cinema in Eastbourne, which coincidentally, I believe, was the cinema we did... next year see die hard with a vengeance in Mm -hmm. and we saw pulp fiction and Mm -hmm. that that was like an experience and then we went back to yours and we said we want something sort of like kind of the word i guess is kind of comforting not that we were freaked out by pulp fiction but we were just like let's have something because that really was like you know so fresh for us and it really did you know was like well at that age especially we hadn't seen you know that sort of stuff like yeah so that was good so we went home and wanted to watch something comforting, so we watched Die Hard 2 in your bedroom again in the, you know, Eastbourne-y the World place. So, so there you go. That's my other memory. I don't know if you remember that. Honestly, I remember
0: Pulp in the cinema, but I'm not remembering <laughs> Die Hard 2 after it, like that. But yeah,
1: yeah. Right, nice. <laughs> nice. Like it. And then do you remember when we saw With a Vengeance?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That was a family adventure. I remember the whole gang were there. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Nice. I also remember when we came out, this is very, I saw Star Trek Generations at the cinema, and it was such a big deal just watching the film. I got swept up and walking out, my friend, I'm going to say it was Mark Herbert, but it might have been Matt Lewis, said, that's the best Star Trek film. And I couldn't quite disagree, which now is ridiculous. But I was just so caught up in the moment at that moment. And I think when you and I came out of Jurassic Park, you said that's better than Jaws, and I can't blame you from that sort of cinematic moment. It's not true. It's not as good as Jaws, but it's you know I, that's totally fair enough. Um, and so when we came out of With a Vengeance in Eastbourne, you said that's the best Die Hard film, and again, I didn't disagree necessarily at the point, at that time. Plus, the summer of 95, first of all, it was the first Die Hard film we saw at the cinema. And also the summer of 95 was Ace. Um, and now I'm totally blanking on what else there was. Oh, well, there was Batman Forever, which isn't very good, but culturally significant. Uh, and and Bad Boys, which you know I really, really liked. And there was some of the film in The Rock. Uh, no, that was 96. Anyway, that was very, very nice. So, and also the trailer. Die Hard with a Vengeance is one of my, you know, I really like it. And they use, um, you know, Ode to Joy really well in the trailer. Um, and so, and that remains a really, really good trailer. So I was really, you know, my anticipation, plus it was a new Die Hard film. So yeah, the anticipation was high and it didn't let me down. Any thoughts on that?
0: Well, Sheppy, lots of thoughts, but I'll just, I'll just, we'll just say one thing because I agree with you around the, the really fascinating dynamic between With a Vengeance and Die Hard 2, that Die Hard with a Vengeance is, is great, and it probably is a better film and is a little bit more original maybe in terms of taking the mclean and and making it more likely that he'd be involved in a terrorist shenanigan if you know what i mean because there's a revenge element to it um and then so i think all of that makes a bit more sense and it
1: takes it out of the die hard template as well sorry um it takes you out of the die hard template i guess because there have been some die hard rip-offs so it's not really I mean and it was originally a separate script that was adapted to be a diehard film, but that's fair enough, and I do really like it, but it isn't a you know it's like a diehard in New York City, which is to say it's an action film but i again, yeah. I don't have a huge problem with that for this because it's such a i like I like The Avengers I like how it's put together, even if the final act is a bit messy, and the original ending isn't any better, honestly, so yeah. Yeah, I like the original ending, but it doesn't work. it Doesn't fit. It's like I don't can't believe they ever thought that would work. would be a very low key um, and different. And, it's, and of course, it needs a bombastic end. Um, but the bombastic ending looks, looks really hurried and it's, it's a bit muddled. So there I, you go.
0: I, I think that the so the interesting thing there around what they did with with Avengers, like you said, they take it out of the template. It's in New York. It starts to if you just took one and three and thought about that it starts to become like Die Hard is the John McClane story rather than the concept of being a Die Hard in a thing if that makes sense and then it makes you think what does Die Hard mean as a title and what's happening to John McClane slowly over time you know what i mean like is that kind of and and of course what he's doing to baddies obviously but like there's just something quite interesting to play with there on the McLean character maybe and then on your willis point <laughs> i think like some actors get several different incarnations over time maybe three different versions of them you know and you see them those that make it through different generations you know your richard gears or your whatever like so they have their little moments and, and you can kind of well, Gears,
2: I don't what I the you Richard That's the one you went
1: to. I don't know, it you went to Richard Gere. <laughs> the guy Michael. who really hasn't changed at all. Well, I think he has. You look at
0: Officer and a Gentleman, then you look at Pretty Woman. So Officer Gentleman is like young, you know, hot stuff, Richard Gere. He looks exactly
1: the same. I don't think he
0: does. I'm going to say he starts start <laughs> with Silver Fox in Pretty Woman. And then like now he'd be like, you know, your old college professor who still has a little twinkle in his eye. Like, do you know what I mean? Those are like the three stages of gear for me all subjective but what i want to say about willis is he doesn't have three phases like that he's got about 49 like and i love it and there's (laughs) there's a little proper little precious bubble of die hard one and two before because even die hard with a vengeance he's getting into last boy scout willis kind of era and he's just slightly different there's that little one he's he's beaten up
1: mclean and he's alcoholic mclean and he's Yeah. yeah he's he's a much more beaten up um, yeah, and Holly's left him, and so on. So yeah, yeah, he is very much Last Boy Scout Willis.
0: So I just want to make that point. There's a little bubble of like just post moonlighting, post blind date Willis of Die Hard One and Two, which is my favourite Willis, and that's why I love Die Hard Two more ultimately. And then you get like a whole new era. Then all sorts kicks off with Twelve Monkeys and beyond, you know. And then it's anyone's bloody game. Well, but, um, it,
1: it comes down yeah. to two, though, doesn't it? It's it's really just two. It's hair and no hair, and that's your Willis. And no hair, if you want to have a subcategory as wig, then wig, you know, and I'm going to go immediately to something like thick Sense, that wig. But all every time he has hair, of course, it's a wig. So you could say that's a third category. Um, but I, you, I would say... But Sheppi, on that, too. Can, can, really
0: can you not say that level of smugness with Willis, which starts to, like, it builds, 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 like a little bit of litmus paper, builds, builds, builds over time... Crosses a threshold into chaos, then another threshold of chaos, and he starts just getting to like unbearable levels. <laughs> even by Oceans Twelve, like where you can barely watch him. Then you get stuff like Reds, then you get Die Hard Five, then you get like what well, What is going on? And then now he's almost unwatchable. Like I, I, I just don't even know. He's made. I, I looked at his IMDb before this, and there are just hundreds of movies, and I think I've seen fifteen percent of Willis's output. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think I would I'd be confident of that. <laughs> Which is weird for someone that I really yeah. like in the old days.
1: Well, you know, first of all, I will just say Willis apparently is a massive cunt. And I don't know that I've ever met him, but everyone says he is, and he's important <laughs> to work with most of the time. But I will also say, in terms of like, just t- churning out dreck, yeah, he does. In And that. that I don't count, Yeah, you know, that could count as a face of Willis, like the, the ultimate massive Drek phase of 20 blockbuster video bargain bins, like a day, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll say Willis was always smug, and that was actually his whole thing, moonlighting Willis. It's charming as fuck, but, you know, it's very self-congratulatory. The Return of Bruno, don't get me started. Blind Date is great. Um, yeah, I like Bonfire of the Vanity. I, and you know, well I like the long shots in it but yeah Willis with hair is a rare breed and was soon to be made extinct and it, uh, and I like I like Willis with hair and that's probably another reason. Willis is kind of like the whole actor going through phases is very much like a Doctor Who analogy and they keep generating every so often. Jack Nicholson would be an example of like young 60s Jack 70s 80s 90s by decade and sometimes double a decade he regenerates and is redefined gets rounder but you know it's it's this whole thing with with Nicholson i saw something from around 2003 recently and from that to now it's age, of course, but he hasn't really changed since around. That's the a great but example.
0: Should then, I, I should. I should have gone Nicholson. I also think maybe Michael Caine is a better example than Gear as well. Like he's got some very distinct Caine yes. moments. And Roger <laughs> Moore. Yeah.
1: Roger Moore regenerates every single Bond film. He looks, you can absolutely identify the Bond films with just his face, with nothing else. I could tell you by the lines, obviously the plastic surgery in Future Kill, but you can tell. Connery, Jesus, in the 90s, he kind of leveled out. But from the 60s to, to the like, mid 80s, Jesus, there that, that were a lot of, a lot of changes. So, so anyway, that's a little nice to one side, but yes, uh, just I also I don't like Richard Gere so it made me laugh as well that we went to that it's like Richard Gere ugh, he's got such a horrible face he looks smug ugh. Yeah. now Jimbo we're sort of going off on of one a little bit but was there anything else you wanted because I want to do one other thing before we actually get to the main thing but before we do anything else what about Die Hard 4 did you see that at the cinema um, I and did, what are your man. thoughts on that
0: I did. And immediately, I think you were the one that said to me, like, you know, it's, Willis is just not playing John McClane anymore, you know, and, and you might be able to argue he's not really in With a I don't know. I need to rewatch that. But but certainly from the moment he picks up his daughter, I seem to remember there's just a moment where he's with his daughter at university and he's talking to her in Die Hard 4 at the beginning or something it's just a moment in the car i haven't yes. seen yes, this right? Totally, totally. and it's just it's just the way this is being in that scene i was like this does not feel like john mcclain at all this feels more like harry bloody stamper of armageddon like it just does not feel like john mcclain so um and then i was just off from there and then by the time he ran out of bullets and started using cars i was like come on man this is just <laughs> well i like ridiculous. the car i
1: like the car <laughs> But it's not a good film. It's, I, and I, I have seen Die Hard 4 maybe like a year ago. Um, and like I say, I also saw Die Hard 4 not long Well, I saw it after seeing Die Hard 5, and I liked it a lot more. That was the time I liked it the most, that viewing. Um, but Die Hard 4, I did see, yeah, about a year ago, and it, it's not a good film, really. I mean, you know, it's fine. But again, it's a Die Hard film. It should have some self-cocking respect. Um, so that's fair. I now, I know I did, like I say, big blocks of talking there. So was there anything else you wanted to um, say you about it, it your thoughts about Die Hard?
0: Oh, look, you know, love it. I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I, I need to really think about whether it's actually definitively my best action movie. But I think it probably is. I've seen it so many times. and
1: I get finicky. I, I get really, really, like, specific. So it's really kind of wanky, actually, because... It's my favourite action film, but I count, like, for example, Raiders of the Lost Ark as an action-adventure, quote-unquote. I count a James Bond film as a James Bond film. So, you know, you really, I get, I get, you know, so that, that's one little caveat that I'll throw out there. <laughs> but generally, it's, um, but yeah, it's up there. And I also really, up there for me, more so, I think, than Lethal Weapon, actually, is The Last Boy Scout, whilst we're on that. I love Last Boy Scout. It's so well-directed. Whereas I love *Lethal Weapon*, but you do get the feeling that a lot of the time, Richard Donner just plops R.I.P. plops the camera and just like capture it, capture this. Um, There's very little of the really inventive shots from *Superman* from *The Omen*. There's there's less of that in *Lethal Weapon*, but again, that's a real disservice. But *Last Boy Scout* beautiful.
0: I think uh, that is one of the ripest for a Shoulders of Giants one day as well, Shepard, by the way. Um, but anyway, that's... Oh, uh,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, oh, not nice. much more to say apart from love it. And, I, you know, one thing I'd just say no. about Die Hard is I just really like the... Um, you know, some people really don't like the beginning. You know, it just takes too long in set up. I find the beginning but just a real comfort who, side food. Like, you know, I don't know. Who,
1: who doesn't like the beginning of Die Hard? Something when I have to sit through like 15, 20, it's like 15 minutes and it's excellent. It, it, you, hope Honey Junior, Ellis? No, no, no. I'll say to those people what I said to this guy up a mountain in Manchu Picchu like Die Hard or get out. Um, and, and, you know, you don't have to like Die Hard, but to say that, oh, I like Die Hard, but I don't like the beginning. What sort of morons are these? Sorry if you're listening morons. But you know, Die Hard's great. Oh, and whilst we're on it, I will address this. I do consider Die Hard a Christmas film because it's really great to watch at Christmas, and Christmas is a part of the plot. But I also can't count it as a Christmas film because I don't believe you can watch a Christmas film in June and enjoy it as much. Um you know, without the Christmas aspect interfering, it you can't watch Scrooge, or Muppet Christmas Carol, even really Gremlins in June and get the same sort of you know it feels just a little bit off. hard you can watch it, and by the way, it was released in June, I'm pretty sure. Um, so, it, so that that's that's one thing. So basically, it is a Christmas movie. But you don't have to watch it at Christmas, which, by definition, kind of makes it not a Christmas movie. By my own definition, that's where I stand on that. Which you could also say is sitting on the fence, because it's really no answer at all. But anyway, since that's part of the conversation, as they say, I thought I'd just give give that.
0: I think it's only a com- part of the conversation because of the internet. Actually. I think it's a non-issue. Of course, it's a Christmas movie. Um, it doesn't have the cheese of a Christmas movie, which is sort of some of the stuff you're talking about there too, isn't it? Like, you know, it doesn't have a warm, fuzzy ending. But it yeah, nonetheless. Yes, it
1: does. I think, it has I a think very that... warm, fuzzy ending. It has the warmest <laughs> and fuzziest of all endings. They're reunited. It has a great one-liner. It's romantic. He meets our pal. No, That's it has nice. an incredibly warm and fuzzy ending. <laughs> Alexander Gudenhoff
0: <laughs> is shot. That's what I was thinking of. I was thinking, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, fair enough. And it's Al Pau is got to get, Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough.
1: Um, yes. Oh, yeah. well, that Al Pau fires his Gun Again is my third favourite 70s porno film ever made. Did you think about that <laughs> when I beat the rap? Um, unless I'm going to step on your toes, Jimmy, I wanted to ask you one more thing, if you will. Actually, two more things, because I have to ask you the original question. You know, otherwise, all of this is a moot. And secondly, um, we talked briefly about the diehard riff offs which has maintains. but at the early 90s was a real sub little genre there diehard in a. Um, I, some people count speed as a diehard inner thus um, I think an, the, an essential, an essential ingredient to a diehard inner type film. Is that it has to be specific location, you're trapped, but there have to be multiple bad guys to kill. And that's why I don't count speed as a diehard inner. But that's again, that's mm. just me. Um, do you have a favorite diehard inner film, Jimpo? In
0: Shep, you've sort of you've actually you've you've you've, you've, uh, you've derailed me there because I was gonna say speed. I think speed absolutely holds up. I think it's a spectacular. It's
2: great.
0: Sorry, yeah. Although Sorry, yeah. but I agree with your point around the um around the 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 need for multiple baddies. I guess the um it's almost flipping it in some ways, isn't it? With just Dennis being able to pull the strings from wherever he is. But uh, but the um I guess passenger fifty seven
1: I remember really being quite entertained by.
0: I need to put some thought to it a bit more, but I really enjoyed it. I have
1: a memory. I have a memory of you telling me about Passage 57 before I saw it. Maybe it was in a letter. and It was a bit where he's doing a punch bag and he's having flashbacks of his wife being killed. And you <laughs> said that bit was really good. And I, my memory, and don't hold me to this, but I believe we were walking around the back of uh, Cranley Recreational Facility across that sports field towards suburbia and then your home. Uh, and I remember having that conversation. You said, oh, Sheppy, I've seen this film. It's Passenger 57. It's Die Hard on a plane with Wesley Snipes. And there's a really cool bit with the punch bag. And I watched it on video and I said, there is a cool bit with the punch bag. But I will tell you this, Jimbo, I haven't seen Passenger 57 for a very long time, but I think I can say safely, always bet on Black, but it is shit. It's really shit.
0: shit. I just want to ask yes, you one yes, thing yes, quickly, because this is actually just a um, a memory of mine of you which is one of my favourite memories of you, and it's associated with Passenger 57, and I tell people about it a lot, that I, I always credit you with this gag, because I think it's a great gag. There's a moment where the uh, terror, main terrorist breaks into the pilot cabin, the cabin and says, who's flying this plane?
1: I have to say, he goes in, i totally forgotten about this, but he, cause it's, he goes in and he says, who's in charge? Oh, who's in charge, um, sorry. And, and, and the guy says, I am. And he shoots him. And then he says, Who's in charge? And you know, I Who's really nervous? Like, you are. And he goes, Right now, keep flying this plane.
0: He <laughs> does, it, but your thing was, if that was me in real life as the co-pilot, I'd be like, Well, you just shot him, so technically it'd be me. <laughs> then you'd have a
1: <laughs> I wouldn't get the point he was trying to make. It wasn't me trying to be obstinate or something. I just wouldn't understand, like We've just shot him. So what are you asking me? Like, well, it's, it's me. I'm second in command. I was second in command. And you just shot him. So and I wouldn't get that he was kind of, you know, doing some sort of clever. No, I mean, into- yeah, yeah, uh, that's, that's nice, Jimbo. Thank you for reminding me. Of that. uh, that's tasty. Did you see, um, oh, um, so what about Under Siege? And by the way, have you seen Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, which is Die Hard on a Train?
2: I think I have,
0: but I have no memory of Seagal on a train to Bundeshepe. I think I've seen it because I really liked Under Siege as well. Yeah. Good old Tommy Lee Jones. Good old life.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I remember you, you saw you saw Under Siege on a plane, and they cut out all the violence. And then you saw it at Cranley Cinema, and you were shocked when Tommy Lee Jones put a thumb through his eye, a knife through his head, and then his head through a computer console. I remember <laughs> that. You were like, I wasn't. I didn't see that coming, Shappy. So yeah, <laughs> good stuff. Under Siege Two has its moments again, but it's it's not it's not very good. My, I will say before I forget, my favorite is Cliffhanger, um, and, oh, and again, that's not as good. It's not as good as it is in my mind, and the more I, you know, every time I see it, I see its shortcomings. But saying that, even with that, it does have some really good bits, and it is still actually, in my opinion, better objectively than Siege, which really, again, really rushes at the end. So I'll just, oh, I'll also say um, um, Sudden Death, that's not great, but that's Die Hard in an ice rink. It's Die Hard like in an ice hockey match with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um, and that that's so, again, it's not great, but it has the advantage over Seagal because Van Damme, does, you know, he, he always gets beaten up in his films before he fights back, which is, you need that in a hero. I just don't understand. Because Seagal just doesn't get touched and he's just like... Anyone else want some of this? It's rubbish. Um, so that's a big <laughs> problem. And he beats Tommy Aww. D. Jones and Everett McGill in number two really easily. But number two does have Everett McGill as the main heavy, so it gets points for that. Um, have you seen any? Uh, well, you and I saw Cliffhanger at the cinema, and Shoulders of Giants coming soon. There was going to be a sequel to Cliffhanger called Dam, set on the Hoover Dam, uh, but that didn't happen. But, Gabe Walker was set to return for a second. So that's exciting. And, oh, I will also quickly say, because it is relevant, a couple of weeks ago, I saw Final Score, which is a Dave Batista film, which features briefly Pierce Brosnan, which is a diehard at a soccer match uh, in, like, West Ham. Um, And I actually got that for you and I to watch last time I saw you, but we watched Three Men and a Baby instead. And so I just had that on, like, a USB, for years at this point and I just watched it like about two weeks ago so there you go that's not very good but there you are <laughs> <laughs>
0: well Sheffy well, I feel like we might need to do some links in the in the notes of the podcast today like with some of these the movies like, I try to make links to Final Score Sudden Death nice all stuff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well yeah
0: <laughs> let's get your man you've yes. got to do your pitch um, let's get now, the pitch moving
1: so the Die Hard film I went for Jimbo well, is a direct sequel to uh, Die Hard. So it is essentially Die Hard 2. Um, and it's it doesn't change, in my mind, um, Die Hard, Die Harder at the airport still happens. Um, it's just, it's moved up a few years. Um, so this is 1990, it's just the direct sequel to Die Hard. So just put all the sequels and everything We've just talked about... Oh, did you know that they were going to make a Die Hard film on a cruise liner, like a luxury cruise liner with John and Holly kind of having a second honeymoon or a romantic getaway? But it didn't happen. It was going to happen early 90s, 92. um, But then Under Siege happened and it torpedoed that. And they were also going to make a Die Hard film on the LA subway, which sounds ridiculously boring. Um, So there you go. I just wanted to quickly throw that out there. Um, But put put all of that to one side because none of that happened but in this uh it's 1990 we have die hard two uh, and i and it's going to be i'll just say i'll cut straight to the chase it's die hard in a prison and the film i've got i've got two possibilities for the um the die harder of it all i've got die hard two colon lockdown uh, maybe i would have called it lock up but that Actually, was just after the Stallone lockup prison film, but I've got lockdown or Die Hard two colon Supermax uh, because it's the maximum (laughs) security. Uh, But anyway, all of this is open to debate. You know, I'm not married (laughs) to any of that. Nineteen ninety, yes. I
0: just, sorry man I I I hate the colon As as well documented on this pod now Like you know, I just, I need consistency in my life And I don't understand the colon I don't like the Die Harder as you've already said And you know, so I'm absolutely <laughs> yeah. Anti both your colons Just to start things off on the right foot <laughs> <way. laughs> I'm
1: loving it I think that's the, the the best note anyone could ever get uh, Maybe it should just be Die Hard 2 Colon in a prison Which is what I've got written here so that's all right. 1990. I've got it uh, directed. I for a, a minute I thought about bringing back McTiernan, but I don't want to lose Humphrey October. But also, um, no, let's have someone else um, and someone perhaps plausible. Uh, so I did Stephen Hopkins, who um, just one of those funny kind of guy. He could easily have made it. I heard film early 90s. He did um, Judgment Night. You're just another victim. Uh, he did uh, uh, my least favorite an Elm Street film, number five, The Dream Child. So there you go. Um, he did Blown Away, which, uh, you know, not great, but very stylistic. Had the pupil dilating and explosions and bridges. And Lee Jones again. Um, he did Lost in Space. He did, uh, he did big, he did most of, you know, he's very influential on 24 and he did all of the important episodes of season one. And he's done lots of other things. But Stephen Hopkins, he did a very good film about Peter Sellers. Anyway, He's directing Die Hard 2. Now I'm going to tell you who's in it. It's Bruce Willis, uh, Kenneth Branagh. And I'm going to say, I almost didn't do Branagh, but this is 1990. So forget all about Branagh. Forget everything you know. Forget about his bad guy work in Tenet or Jack Ryan or Wild Wild West. He's done his Hollywood villain stuff. This is young Branagh. He had just, in 89, he did Henry V. And that legit got him noticed by Hollywood. And he used that to do Dead Again, which I bloody love. Um, but where's the sequel to that? Dead Again Again. But I'll say this. Rather young, and he's kind of the, kind of, uh, he wears uh, little round spectacles in this. He's, uh, he's conceivable. He's, I'll just say, he's kind of, the, the you know, he's kind of like Theo. Theo. Um, it's Christopher Theo, but... You know so he's this sort of tech guy and he's a bit nervous, a bit mousy. Um, when he's introduced, there's Rod Steiger. Um, I, I, I settled on him, but I'll, and I'll get into the specifics of the characters later. I've got Stephanie Beecham, um, um because Jane Seymour turned them down. I've written, uh, uh just, just Stephanie Beecham was in something like Dynasty or the Colbys, and she was in Sequest DSV, and she, she's basically. Jane Seymour wannabe um I also got Thomas Ian Griffiths who's the uh baddie from uh, Karate Kid 3 and he was also in a lot of straight to video like martial arts type action films in the in the 90s so he's like the main physical threat he's hot of Karate Kid 3 um he's not the henchman uh he he's like you know because of the Rod Steiger character, who, who is the main villain, who's like this old kind of mafiosi type. So um, this guy's the muscle, but he is also a, a legitimate baddie. He's not Alexander Guzmanov, for example. Um, although I, he's only not because I say he's not. <laughs> There's nothing here to suggest otherwise. He's just the muscle. Um, and I've also got Bill Cobbs, um bill Cobbs is the guy who's you would recognize him if you saw him he's in the Hudsucker proxy and he's in demolition man um and he's like he's, he's like a, he's a morgan freeman wannabe yeah. um and he plays a morgan type in this film um oh i've also got in this film your your other we've had um david schwimmer now we've got scott Bakula popping up on the podcast Uh, he spatulas in it and I've also got this is a name that everyone would instantly recognize Tab Thacker I swear to God not making that up Tab Thacker he's the um, large black gentleman from a couple of 80s films including football (laughs) football Uh, Wildcats and he's in uh, Police Academy 4 and 5 but not that much else honestly he's this big kind of black dude and he's kind of this bubber because it's in a prison, so you need that. Now, this film uh, is a fairly claustrophobic and brutal film. It doesn't get, you know, um, it's not super light. It has humour, but it doesn't go the die hard with a vengeance, which is relatively quite a light, breezy film, which is good. This one um, maintains the sort of the tense tension from the first film. Um, it's set at night, of course, uh, set over the course of one night during a big blizzard... And I know that is proper Die Hard 2, Die Harder, um, but I can't help it. it just, I don't think, I generally don't think I'm influenced by the Blizzard aspect from Die Hard 2. It's just it works better. There's a prison in a Blizzard. It's extra isolated. Um, it's I've written here, cold night ice steel. Um, and that sort of just encapsulates everything about this film you know, in terms of aesthetic. Uh, the humour comes from McLean and some of the side characters, plus, of course, witty but brutal villain um so you've got um this guy you got um this mafiosi kingpin type character like the original there are allies and adversaries on both sides of the prison walls and even nice goodies and bad goodies if you like or bad nice people if you like like you know like the Dwayne type character and the, the person who's always like the bureaucrat who's trying to get in his way. I don't want to lean into that too much, but there is, you know, an element to that a little bit, but not to the same extent as Die Harder, which really leads into the archetypes far too closely. Uh, but there's also a guard who's on Willis's side. Um, there's an FBI negotiator who's not a prick on the outside, um, but we'll, we'll get to more to that Some allies also on the inside of the prison for McLean are like a red Shawshank Redemption, Morgan Freeman character. And that's the guy I mentioned earlier, who's repeatedly told is a genius. We're told that he's a genius with wires and quote unquote, electrical shit. Uh, We're told he's inside for some huge scam. Like he rigged lots of security systems to shut down his old office, like a sort of a big powerful nasty company. So, you know, so that, so he's, he's not, he's a, he's a sympathetic uh, convict and he knows about electricity and shit. So guess what, that comes into play at some point. Now there's a female doctor who works at the uh, hospital in the you know, the infirmary, in the prison. And this is the Jane Seymour wannabe Stephanie Beacham. Um, uh, there's also like a, maybe like a young gang member inside who sort of helps him out, but isn't, doesn't become a, you know, probably gets killed. It's, doesn't look like a sidekick or anything. He doesn't have a sidekick in this film. Uh, he's proper isolated and alone. And you know, um, there's no Holly, um, by the way. Or if there is, it's only a cameo. Um, she's not involved in the plot, and she's never in any peril. It is mentioned that they are not divorced, but they are not still together. Uh, she's still in LA, he's still in New York, and it's pretty much left at that. It's two years after Nakatomi, but there's no, um, there's, there's, you know, it, it's it's, still alive, but it's withering on the vine a bit. Um, but I, I think there's probably an owl Powell in Die Harder sort of like, you know, like moment where she's there at some point, either before or after the, the act, probably before. Um so that's, oh, by the way, in terms of the Jane Seymour Doctor character, uh, Stephanie Beecham, um, they're, they're, they're in a couple of tight moments together and they do have witty banter, but they're not, you're, not, you're never told that there's any kind of thing that's going to happen because I don't want to devalue the relationship between John and Holly by having a, another romantic interest. Uh, but you could read it, but there's certainly an attraction. So anyway, we start with John McLean arriving at this maximum security prison in upstate New York. A major snowstorm is on the way. John is consistently told he should leave before nightfall due to the severity of said storm. It is February 14th. I thought just setting it at Valentine's Day just to give it, you know, it's not Christmas, but it's winter and, you know, some some angle. I like that. Um, John is there to either deliver or visit I haven't made up my mind which a recently incarcerated prisoner in the prison put there by McLean, uh, and McLean's trying to get the last piece of info he needs uh, to put it you know, from this guy to put the rest of his crime family or the syndicate away for good. Uh, he uh, but it doesn't work. It's like one of the first scenes. He gets to the prison. He meets this guy, but the guy doesn't give him what he wants. Um, He's a horrible greaseball. If made today, this convict would be played by Frank Willow. Um, it doesn't matter if, you know, who, who, but it's, let's just say it's a Frank Willow substitute. While, so after this interrogation goes south, uh, McLean bumps into an old colleague. What does it bump into? The guy says, hey, John. He meets an old colleague from the NYPD who now works as a guard at this prison. Uh, this is meant to be a really likable character. So it's Bacula. At the height—I've written height in capital letters—at the height of his QL fame, he left the force due to his wife wanting him to have a job with regular hours for the family. But he and John are, are old cop buddies. Bacula Guard is on his way to the infirmary. John wants a guided to tour while he's there uh, because his car has been—it has, has to be defrozen or something. So he's been delayed a bit anyway. So they chat and they walk and they have some exposition about the prison and the warden, who's this woman, and the inner workings. Uh, this is obviously, of course, what we also find out about John's current status with Polly, two years after Lakatomi. In the infirmary, uh, the guard, uh, Bacula, is there to collect a crazy inmate to patient who's been taken back, who's been about to be taken back to general population. He either knows McLean or he just hates cops, And he says nasty, impressive things to John. uh, But then McLean rebukes him with Willis smirky goodness. (laughs) Uh, This crazy con is later, of course. There's also uh, McLean meets the doctor, who's this woman, who's professional and a bit snarky, and they have banter. Um, But it never becomes a will day, won't they? Before he can leave, John is then summoned to the warden's office, the warden is this older woman, and she's okay. The deputy warden we also meet in the office, and he's a massive twat uh, who lets McLean know that he disapproves of his methods and his face. Even the warden, though, says that cowboy cops allow criminals to get back on the street due to not following proper procedure. And the deputy then says, yeah, that's why he usually just shoots them. Uh, warden maybe wanted to see him you know, McLean to actually congratulate him. You know, I just wanted to meet the man from Nakatomi, see if the hype was real. McLean's like, must be a disappointment, huh? Uh, or, you know, maybe there's another reason she wants to meet him. Um, maybe to ask his opinion about the criminal he came to see and the, the gang or the family, and you know, some something with maybe mafia, maybe. So, so they have a little bit of talking and he gets to meet her and it's, she's basically the um, Tanagi Type character, I guess. The deputy is ex military, but he's actually, you know, he's a pencil pusher, failed Napoleon wannabe. He's not like a tough ex military. He's more just this, you know, failure. He's failed army. He only lasted a year or so before being booted. Um, we find, find out from Bacula. He's sort of a, a JT Walsh type. Uh, he's inherently weak. Later on, Red, the Morgan Freeman type, uh, says he's a real noodle. Only thing keeping his back up straight is that stick up his ass. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're told that the prisoners, uh, there's there's, num- there's the number one inhabitant of the prison, uh, a real kingpin, wannabe, a uh, real Al Capone, a real no coward from the Italian job, kind of like runs the prison essentially, Um He's kind of like in my mind. I see the Ding Ding Man from Breaking Bad, but it's um, I've written here Anthony Quinn or Bod Steiger. I think I've decided to go with Bod Steiger. Uh, this guy is old school crime and has been locked up for a good decade. Um, he is um, he has no direct connection to McClane, um, however, but you know he doesn't like cops and so on. And of course, McClane knows all about this guy. He's, you know, notorious, famous. On the inside, he more or less runs it. Um, The prison is not corrupt, but the deputy warden, of course, is. And as much as can be done as possible without the main warden finding out about it. Maybe the main warden is newish. But anyway, this guy, this kingpin type, is uh, allowed a lot of amenities. Uh, Maybe the warden allows it to an extent because it keeps all the other gangs in, in line and so forth. Uh, The Kingpin has his own tenant, which is, you know, this big guy, this Thomas Thomas Ian Griffiths, uh, who's not muscly, just, you know, super nails. Uh, And also uh, the number cruncher whiz kid in the round steel-framed glasses, Branner. By the way, beating out James Spader in the finals, it was down to the two of them. (laughs) Uh, So like pre-Wolf Spader, you imagine, post-mannequin Spader, too slimy, too much for anything. now a big thing is made to the fact that McLean keeps trying to leave. You know, first he's delayed because of his car. Then he's uh, then he meets Bacula and then the warden wants to meet. He almost leaves. He almost leaves. He almost leaves. Now we're, we're, this is that time where those people will hate because it's like the first 15 or 20 minutes and nothing happens. So they're like, oh, it's going on? We we then have like a you know, McLean is finally going to leave, and we we establish the geography of where every of the main players are now. And obviously it's building to something, something's gonna happen. Um, You know, there are various people darting, darting eyes. We've also cut to, during all of this, little people arriving, maintenance people arriving, some auditors have come, but they're all wearing military boots. There's all this sort of thing. Um, Also a couple of shady looking guards, you know, with their eyes darting uh, and all this sort of thing. McLean starts to sense, you know, notice little things, but, you know, he's sort of putting slowly together, he's sensing something's off. Uh, but, you know, he's just sort of leaving and he's just sort of walking away. You know, in the first Die Hard, when he just first arrives at Nakatomi and he looks at the security guard, he's doing his nails, and he kind of does that professional little nod. That's how I sort of see him when he's leaving and the guards are, like, checking him out through the security gates. So he's through the first gate and approaching the second gate. And he's about to get his gun and badge back and everything. Um... We have some, you know, shifty looks and so forth. People looking at the clock on the wall with the tick, tick, tick. And then the coup kicks off. Uh, Some nice guards are killed. Uh, There's like a big twist or something where like one of the guards turns on the other guard and just shoots him in the head. And it's like, oh no, he was in on it. So there's like a a handful of guards who are in on it. There's some mass violence. Some guards turn on their colleagues and uh, some of the auditors, even maybe a visiting lawyer, drop their briefcase and uh, take out guns. Um, with some, you know, the, the dog doors start to go into shutdown and, you know, the flashing siren lights and McLean's like, what the hell? Lockers are raided, guns are passed out. Uh, there's there's an uprising, people in the pit bull, in the bull pit continue to go nuts. Some of the prisoners are like killed in, in all of this just amongst each other. A lawyer talking with his client is just shot. A warden is, of course, uh, you know, she, she barricades herself in the office with the deputy and she's gonna, like, you know, operate everything from there. And, and she's there with the deputy. We know we don't like the deputy, but perhaps he's been sort of established as the Dennis Franz from Die Harder type character. But that all changes when he shoots uh, the, uh, the warden in the back of the head. And it's like, oh no, that's that. Or maybe he just pulls the gun, but I think it's more shocking if, if he shoots her. She gets killed by the Kingpin character anyway, a la. You know, Takagi, but maybe it's more shocking for he Just does it there. He's in control now. He locks all the doors. Uh, he opens other doors. Uh, certain doors lock. Most doors swing wide open. There's a mass riot. Loads of prisoners come out. Um, lots of stuff goes on. Uh, McLean is now. You know, he maybe a guard tries to kill him when he's halfway out the door, and You know, he's stuck in the lockdown, of course. Even those not involved in the takeover are made to swear allegiance to the Kingpin or they're put to death, along with the remaining guards. There's also lots of hostages, of course. Um, So that is the first 20 minutes, let's say, and then everything goes into the lockdown and McLean is trapped. Uh, He has to pass himself off as an inmate, never got his gun, Uh, It was just there behind the glass, but he can't get to it. He's like, son of a bitch. So he gets into some clobber. I see like blue jeans and a blue kind of denim shirt with, of course, the vest underneath. He's not wearing, you know, the full-on orange shit or anything. Um, And he has to, you know, he has to pass himself off. It's it's wide open now. All the criminals are everywhere in this place. Um, And the kingpin and his bunch of cronies right in the centre. Oh, um, I forgot to say, what really kicked off as well was that Brana and some of the heavies got into the main hub control room, which the deputy opened for them, and they kill the guards. And so now Brana is in, like you know, the centre of the spider's web, is operating everything, pure Theo, and locking this and closing this, and then being, and now click, and that's when all the doors open, and all the guards are like, oh no, and all the nasty criminals come out. Uh, so that's nice. Uh, so the first. The next big section of the film, really until about the halfway mark at this point, is just this. It's tense cat-and-mouse stuff in the prison with John, trying to get to this master control room to get the main gates open to let SWAT in and to let himself out. Um, He must also, of course, whilst he's pretending to be a fellow inmate, he must avoid all of the inmates who would recognise him um, because he put away a fair few. And of course, There's the uh, Frank Grillo convict who he was originally there for. And there's, you know, lots of tense stuff where is he going to see him and he has to stand there and sort of hardcover his face or something. There's a nice tense scene in the Kingpin's lair um, mass area, which has now been taken over with um, with the Grillo and McLean trying to avoid him. The deputy warden is also kind of like you know that type like it's a Rolex he's there and he's just like you know being slimy and annoying and also you know making sure being fake on the phone to the FBI or whatever like, they take it over but they'll be like ha ha ha. incidentally at some point she he, he's going to he's somehow got the upper hand on the claim he's got the drop on john and the female doctor injects him with something nasty and kills him and saves McLean's life in the infirmary, that's about halfway through the film. So he doesn't make it that long, wanky deputy warden. Now, the baddies who are a direct threat to John in this film are basically in three categories. You've got the main hub, you know, the main orchestrators of all of this, from the kingpin and Branner and the main muscle man, you know, Griffiths, uh, down to those who came into the prison as auditors and all of those fake people who were secretly, you know, terrorists. They're the elite A squad of baddies, the main terrorist types. There's like 10 of those. Um, then you've got the, you know, the inmates. Some are just doing their time and they're not a threat. Um, and this includes the huge Bubba type who like looks like he's going to be a baddie. He's huge Michael Clark Duncan type. But he turns out to be a helper to McLean. There's the Morgan Freeman type um, who, who helps. And he's kind of the Al power in a sense. Uh, but then there are the inmates who have nothing to do with putting the plot together, but are all for the mayhem and the murder and the escape, potentially. And um, and so you've got them. And then, of course, those people are in all of the categories of that prison gang. Like, you've got the neo-Nazis, and you've got the Latinos and the mob and the Russians. Um, you know, but, of course, we have some good representations of these to avoid any kind of... Even though it's 1990 and no one cared, let's try and have some people as well. You have the cons with big tattoos on their necks and massive, massive arms. They're so real no-neck dudes. Um, but at the halfway point, McLean makes it to the control room, is able to secure a part of the prison, keeping a majority of those type of criminals locked, I sound racist, locked up and out of the way, as well as some of the nice cons who want no part of the nastiness. Uh, at one point, the kingpin character, Branner, and the main heavy, the Griffiths, guy uh, have a meeting with McLean, by the way, before the halfway point I should say, when he's still passing himself off. I just forgot to mention, uh, but but that's a nice moment. It gives us an opportunity for our principals to meet and converse face-to-face before all the cat-and-mouse stuff kicks off. Uh, And of course, Bacula is there, and he's keeping quiet and sort of trying to help, you know, like whispering, get to the East Wing, there may be a radio, that sort of shit. Um, so you know, Grillo isn't part of the overall scheme um, but of course he is this extra threat and um, he's killed by John at some point um, I imagine in a, in a cool way. Um, also so um, first half is the cat and mouse but then Aaron also of course says the crazy inmate who knows him who shouted him earlier in the infirmary and McLean kills him in a cool and quick and pretty brutal fight and then the other bad guys turn up um, and find him dead. And McLean's like, you know, we used to uh, share a cell back in the day and I owed him one. Uh, by the way, I think McLean kills that guy by slamming his head repeatedly in the slidey cell bar doors, like clong, clong, clong. Um, so, yeah, so after all that business, John does make it to the control room, uh, but he is thwarted. Uh, and the second half is he is being hunted by main baddies elite squad in pure diehard fashion. He's in air vents, he's on the roof, he's on uh, metal frozen gangways, he doesn't have a coat, he has to run across this big suspended like you know, gangway really high up across the prison, it's all frozen and icy, and he has to move quickly, or he's just going to freeze, it's so hardcore at this point. Uh, he has a fight also um, in the metal shop, uh, you know, lots of heavy-duty welding equipment. He kills a baddie with a license plate presser. And uh, he says, that's what I call personalized. Uh, film utilizes every location and environment a prison has to offer. You know, the guard towers, cell blocks, the laundry room, you know, the kitchen, the yard. Uh, another sequence with a fight on the top floor of where all the cell blocks are. Um, and McLean and Abadi are having a grapple and they go over the balcony, but they land, you know, they fall, but they land on this safety mesh. Because it really annoys me in films where people in prison riots get thrown over the edge and they go, ah, and they die. Because in real prisons, they have these meshes to avoid that sort of shit. or, or stuff. So, that, so McLean and the guy go over and there's a really cool scene where, you know, they're, they're on the center, but it's coming ac- away from the wall. Uh, so they're fighting on this mesh. Um, And also people are shooting up and shooting down from above and below. And McLean is trying to get to, like, there's a dead guard with a gun. He's trying to get to the gun before the baddies, you know, are able to shoot him. And, of course, he makes it to the gun in the nick of time and rolls onto his back and does the firing up thing. And one baddie is hit and he's screaming down onto the mesh, which then finally rips and detaches. So then the other baddie who he was fighting with um, falls to his death. Well, McLean grabs hold of the mesh and sticks his fingers in through the tiny holes and swings with it, uh, and he's like, oh, shit! But his fingers in the mesh holes, you know, they're tiny and it's sharp, horrible metal, and so we have the cut feet equivalent from the first film where his fingers are being really almost sliced off. It's really worthy, like, oh, God, but he has to keep holding on because, you know, and, and he sort of climbs up or climbs down. And escape but you know his fingers are just fucked after that, like hanging off from like halfway between the first two knuckles. <laughs> um, so that's that's all right um, the female doctor who I've mentioned she's in play and she kills the deputy uh, warden um, there is the police you know presence outside of course the FBI or the equivalent and of course the SWAT are there but of course I don't want to lean too much into the Johnson and Johnson or the Duane or any of that, so I don't even think the claim has contact with the outside. And so there's none of that, but we do cut to them occasionally, camped out in the blizzard and the SWAT team want to raid the place, but that would mean that all of the quote-unquote innocent prisoners would be killed, not just the ones involved in the riot and the plot. Thus, there's a debate about if there's such a thing as an innocent prisoner or his rights Uh, So there you go, but there's a twist. So again, we're just around the halfway mark. Kingpin and everyone else thought that the choppers that have been ordered to come are coming to take them out for escape, of course. Uh, Everyone's assuming the plan is escape. Um, In the big reveal at the halfway point, McLean has maybe made an inroad towards talking sense to the Kingpin, Rod Steiger character, He says, you know, the kingpin says that he might release some of the hostages in exchange for immunity. Things have got out of control even. Then Brana shoots the kingpin in the face. The man we thought was loyal to the kingpin, Griffiths, is actually pure team Branner. And he, with his crew, then immediately turn and shoot and stab and neck snap and eye gouge all of those other team members who were loyal to the kingpin all of the p- people from the prison who were helping, who were loyal to the Kingpin guy. Uh, but Brana, it is revealed, is the true villain and mastermind of this piece. Um, and to establish his pure country, he shoots Bacula guard in the face, also just to prove a point. And we're like, oh shit, uh, no, not um, you know. And of course Brana is talking <laughs> on the uh, Radio, I guess, to to McLean, being like, "Yo, I guess you've loved you fucked up your chance to escape." And Van is like, "You know, of course, now he's too cool for school, and he's not Mousy anymore." And he's like, "Escape, Lieutenant, escape is never the plan." Uh, and, of course, he's English, so fuck it. With a Gruber-esque endgame planned, Branner wants the authorities to think it was all an escape plan orchestrated by the kingpin, but his plan is to make people think the kingpin has escaped by chopper, is still running his mass crime syndicate in hiding. This assumption will stop a power vacuum, enabling Branagh to run the whole thing from inside the joint also running the joint, of course, secretly with the deputy warden, who was now going to be full warden. But of course, McLean has fucked. You know, just a monkey in the wrench, pal. You know, he's fucked up that. But that—that's his plan. The third act is the final confrontation. Uh, the chopper's pilot, who's a baddie, who's coming, is shot by McLean with his. He's got like a little. He's got his gun. His little. His little hand pistol, and he's like bang, 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 bang. Cra- uh, he's in like one of the guard towers, McLean. At this point, and he shoots the glass, and he shoots the pilot in the helicopter who's coming. And the helicopter then, of course, crashes directly into the tower, making McLean do a McLean and jump from the tower as the chopper crashes into it and explodes. Because you know, why the fuck not? It's thy hard. I don't care. McLean falls a, oh, and lands in a massive snowdrift. And then, like, all the, these three baddies are, like, approaching the snowdrift, where it's just, like, thump, you know, it's just, like, a big hole in the centre, like a snow volcano, <laughs> and they're all approaching with their guns, and it's, like, bang, 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 from inside the snowdrift, and they're, they're, and they're all shot, and then McLean sort of bursts out through the bullet-weakened snow, and he's, like, you're talking about a cold reception! Maybe not that one, but uh, so that, that's all right. At some point... Um, yeah, so this is uh, the doctor who kills the deputy guy. McClain has a big fist fight with Griffiths, the the, you know, the heavy. Um, he's double nails, of course. Um, and then the big, big climax is in the execution chambers. Uh, Raner uh, and this is a bit like hokey because you know it's the damsel in distress thing, but 1990, I don't care. Raner has the doctor strapped to this antiquated electric chair that that's been maintained. Um, now this sounds like I'm ripping off lockup, but I swear to God I was thinking electric chair. It has to happen. Uh, it's just one of those things from a prison. I have to utilize it, old Sparky. Uh, McLean has then a fight with Brannan, all the while you know that isn't a fighty guy, but McLean is fucked at this point. So Branner's putting up a good, and you know he's he's no he's alright as Brannan. He's in his peak Um So they're they're grappling. The the doctors. Tied to the chair, and all the while, uh, Bran is trying to reach for the old-fashioned like handle to pull to deliver the fatal shock. And it's like hands grabbing, and you know this sort of thing. John manages to take the electric fuse out uh, in the you know in the other room just as Branner pulls the switch, so it's dead. But then McLean is interrupted by Griffiths, who is thought dead. But in an Alexander Kudrnov scenario, he comes back, starts beating the shit out of McLean again. Uh, whilst he's doing that. Lana puts the fuse back in and he's, he goes back to pull the switch. And now the fight then between Griffiths and McLean is huge and brutal as fuck. Um, now he has a, there's a shiv, of course, because it's a prison. That's another ingredient from a prison I want to use. Uh, there's a shiv involved. Maybe McLean got it earlier from that psycho who was in the infirmary who we met earlier, put it in his sock. And I'll keep that for later. And so at this point, whatever, he gets the shiv and they're grappling over it, you know, Griffiths and so forth. The the blade is like, um, you know, between their faces. But then Griffiths, in a a twist, shock move, sticks the shiv right through McLean's hand, through like the back of his hand with the blade coming out of his palm. And McLean's like, oh. But then McLean slaps Griffiths in the face and throat with the blade coming out. So Griffiths is getting poles everywhere. But Griffiths gets the upper hand and is pushing McLean's own hand and the blade towards McLean's eye. And it's getting closer and closer and closer, and it's definitely going to go in. McLean does the only thing he can. He grabs the protruding blade coming out of his palm with his teeth and pulls it all the way through out the palm, drops it, into his free hand and he rams it up under Griffith's jaw through his mouth and kills him. Um, McLean makes it back to the electric room in time for Branagh to get to the switch and they make eye contact. There's no way McLean's gonna reach him in time, and Branagh triumphantly pulls the switch, you know, as after saying something glib like, you know, fuck you, you pick it you, Mathafucker. Uh but Red, the Morgan Freeman uh Shawshank guy uh has the uh, fucked and tinkered and monkeyed in Gremlin with it, because that's what he does, which has been established. So the flow has been reversed because that's possible, sure. And uh Brana is fried, was holding on to the switch. Um, then there's a quick race against time where he's screaming and being electrocuted, standing up, where McLean has to untie and undo all the straps on the doctor, because then uh, Branner still standing up, going, ah! Then his arm bursts into flame, then he bursts into flame, which then ignites the grenades on his person, and Branagh explodes, and the room explodes, and McLean and the doctor just died out the door in time. Um, and then McLean says to the doctor, Would you believe I'm actually against capital punishment? Uh, The film then ends with the doors finally being opened and the SWAT team, of course, all swarm in uh, with McLean and Red and the Doctor walking out past them. All of the prisoners are contained at this point. Red isn't free, he's still a prisoner, but John says he's going to make sure he's transferred to a minimum security joint with a heavily reduced sentence. Um, The last lines, walking out through the massive doors, now open. Snow is now floating in the air like a snow globe. Storm has passed. Police lights are flashing blue and red, and dawn is visible far away. Um, McLean probably has a blanket on, because people always need blankets at the end of these films. Uh, the Doctor saying, if I never see another set of bars, it'll be too soon. McLean says, oh, I don't know. I can think of a few bars I'd like to visit right now. And then Red says, amen to that, brother. And then McLean says... You know, you're still technically a prisoner, right, pal? And Red says, certainly, but no point in being a sober one. And McLean says, amen to that, brother. And then Jailhouse Rock plays us out, and the camera moves up, and you know, directed by Stephen Hopkins comes up. Uh, and uh, the taglines, not good, but I think that's you know, appropriate. Um, first tagline, no one in, no one out. Lieutenant John McLean is about to have one hell of a night. Uh, Second one, locked up tight, in for a fight. Quite fun for a bus stop. And an unescapable prison, 500 deadly criminals, one New York cop looking for the door. So so that is my diehard two. Oh, and I'm really sorry, but I have to say I also said so. And then Die Hard 3 is Die Harder in the airport. That came out two years later in Die Hard 2 in, in 1992. Then 1994, you have Die Hard 4 on a battleship. McLean is there. Um, he has jurisdiction in New York. His big battleship is coming to New York Harbor. So as a representation representative of the NYPD, he's there. Um, but uh, all of the naval SEALs don't like him then they die and he must kill the baddies. So it's under siege, it's Die Hard under siege, and the baddies is Ruka Hauer. Then, 96, it's Die Hard with a Vengeance, a year later than in our world. Then, in 1998, we have Die Hard 6 in Disney World. John and his teenage kids go to a huge amusement park to bond. The baddie, he finally got it, it's James Fader. Uh, 2000, Die Hard 7 in the White House, which of course has been done twice in the same year. Uh, John is set to be honoured for his service above and beyond at the White House when uh, it all goes, shit goes down. The baddie is Wesley Snipes. And then six years later, Die Hard 8, up a mountain, it's kind of cliffhanger, but it's in a really exclusive health spa and John and Holly are on their second honeymoon at an exclu- exclusive health retreat high up in the mountains, maybe even in Switzerland or maybe Colorado. Long drops, saunas. The baddie Meryl Streep as the uh, proprietor of the place. And then 2011, Die Hard 9 in Chernobyl. And 2011, by the way, was the year Chernobyl was deemed safe to go to. John is in Russia to expedite a nasty man. Then the whole of Chernobyl is seized. And it's not just the Geiger counter buzz. And the baddies are Jürgen Proshnow, even though he's German, and Ravel Eisenhoff who I checked, he's this Russian actor who's in everything, and you would know him if you saw him, and he's the other body. So that's my little extra quickie bit of, yeah. but we don't have uh, Die Hard 4.0 live free die hard, we don't have Die Hard 5 in Russia, that one. So so there you go, Jimbo. That's a chunky one, but I just need you to get that all out.
0: Shippy. I am in awe like I, you know it's been very difficult today with the delay we've had like you, you, there, there are little snorts and guffaws that I'm gonna have to try and edit out because they happen obviously <laughs> on a delay of about 10 seconds and trying to hold it in on some of that stuff was very very difficult because there was so much genius in there man I bloody love it um, I mean god i'll <laughs> oh, just say so quickly like a, you've got McLean's dialogue, just perfect. All the liners, just the right level of willisness. It's wonderful, wonderful. And the whole premise is great. I knew you were saving branner I, I knew that <laughs> Swiss was coming. <laughs> you can't cast him at that point and just have him as the tech guy, so that's nice. And it's, I love me, my
1: Branner. I love me some Branner. all night long. And, uh, and
0: then the... Um, just the uh, I, I really thought, and I'm glad he didn't. But that whole bit with the mesh and the hands was very visceral and brilliant. And I was really worried that, like, when he shot up and the first guy fell, it would be like a boy. He'd be like, <laughs> <up>. <laughs> like, I, this, is there a bit where he gets like absolutely streamed up by some water or something and Die out with a Vengeance? Is yes, that, does that happen? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yes. totally. You um, should watch that again,
1: by the way. Yeah, like, I, I really want I to like, actually.
0: Think. Yeah, I'm, I'm game for that.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> well, lovely, Sheppy, and it's totally approached that so he'd be there. And I love that you went on 22 Jump Street on us at the end with, like, all the other
1: types. Oh, thank you. I've never seen 22 Jump Street. But, yeah, thank you. I, 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 I was thinking of that. And also, um, White House Down and um, the, the other one. Oh, God. Do you have, uh, one of them is White House Down, and the other one is The White House Has Fallen. Angel
0: is for, no Olympus. Angel is for Olympus Olympus
1: for sort them. Of, right. And they were both the same year and I had you know high expectations for both of them. Or you know, optimistic, realistic, but they're both bad. So I want a proper McClain in the White House. Yeah, for sure.
0: That'd be good. Okay, Sheppy. Well look, I'm gonna do my pitch for you. I don't think it is uh, particularly spectacular, particularly against what we've just heard from you. But uh, So I've got this one, and then I've got a, an optional extra for you as well.
2: Nice.
0: But, um, so so I'm going with an alternate Die Hard 2 here, Sheppy. Nice. So that's because uh, that obviously our remit was anything. Um, so it's a Die Are we Hard talking 2. like
1: 1990?
0: 1990, directed by John McTiernan. So oh. this is not, I'm going to say, it doesn't push Red October out because <laughs> Sean Connery literally only did one one take, let's be honest.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Baldwin didn't know where to look. Yeah, fair
0: enough. <laughs> um, so it was all just one takes for Sean's Russian-Scottish uh, submarine captain so that he could juggle both productions so we get Die Hard 2 at the same time. We're all happy. Um, we have Willis back, we have Bedelia back as Mrs Mack, um, we've got Reginald uh, Johnson back as Powell, we've got Taylor Fry as Lucy McLean, so original casting back. Oh, nice. God knows whether she can act or not, but she's got quite a big part in this.
1: She's not tall, she's short Fry. Jesus. <laughs> um, so proud of myself.
0: and special teas for about 30 seconds only we've got Alan Rickman back as Boris Gruber
1: (laughs) crikey
0: I mean, this is like you know, all bets are off, right? So anyway, but uh, that, by the way, just to tell you right now, is going to be the end of credit sting. So you oh. know, there's nothing Alan Rickman does nothing beyond receive a piece of paper at the end to say you know the the second wave of mission has failed, and um, and now it's time to really enact uh, revenge on his twin brother in the upcoming Die Hard Three directed by Jimmy. Um,
1: so oh that's wow! Just so for the future That's he's the Thanos basically. Like you ain't seen nothing yet. Huge.
0: I had no idea at this point, you know, Lion King was going to happen and Jeremy Irons would be so big and, you know, no, 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 everyone just wants Rickman back as his twin brother, so that's what's going to happen. Anyway, um, so here's, I've gone really, as usual, Sheppy for me, like deeper to the beginning and then, of course, like, you know, um, less said about the middle and no ending. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, we we open with uh, Nakatomi Plaza still blazing, so that's just like, mm-hmm. boom, like, no, like maybe, um, I can't remember which production company is Die Hard. Is it? Fox. Fox, that's right, of course it's Fox. Anyway, um, so we get our 20th century Fox, and then it's just, boom, cold open, like, Nakatomi Plaza still blazing, some of the debris is just falling from the roof. Um, and it's basically a helicopter shot, and you can see a police convoy going to the station, you know, um, on that helicopter shot from Nakatomi Plaza. So we are fucking straight back from the end nice. of Die Hard 1 into Die Hard 2 um it's going to have a bit of a 24 exhausting feel to it this to be honest, to be a, you know like just continuing yeah, like um, poor,
1: poor old McLean
0: poor old McLean
1: <laughs>
0: so um Bonnie and Bruce are del- this is all like in our little pre-title Bonnie and Bruce are delivered to the station I'd pretty much just go with you know actor names on this but doesn't really matter um yeah. the, the, the kids are with them um the kids are they're at the station waiting for them um and um and Al just says, you know, that we're gonna try and get you processed as quickly as possible, try and like so we can just get you out of here, you know, because he's obviously bloody beaten up and um still probably got some glass in his foot. We have we have another car, another police car with Theo, our computer hacker, being bundled into the station uh, by the police and the FBI. Um, the one put,
1: surviving terrorist, I guess.
0: Yeah, the ones and I like I feel like that's the one thread if you wanted to pull it that's left from the original. Um and then I've just said here, like, you know, lots of 80s and 90s style sort of sausage jockeying over who has jurisdiction over over the interrogation of Theo. Um, We get an interrogation pre-title with an FBI agent and a police officer as well. And, um, and look, it's just enough time for Theo to be saying, look, we, we work for very serious people and, and like really being quite like, you know, that sort of 80s shaky. <laughs> I'm scared, man. I'm scared. I don't know what to say. You know, he's really. Playing yeah,
1: yeah it's taking me a long time to light this cigarette. I've got the shake. Someone else has to light it for me. <laughs> yeah. It's that sort of thing. You've got to take off your glasses and wipe it in a quick manner because you're so shaky and you know, then put your glasses back on. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, I get it.
0: And then um, we cut to an armored tank zooming through the pretty much deserted LA streets because it's still nighttime. Heading, we have to presume, I guess, heading towards the the police station. Mm-hmm. Um, Willis and Bedelia are with the kids in the police station waiting area um you know and then the kids are like you know will he be coming home after christmas daddy for good you know and like bedelia's all mummy we'll have to see about that we'll have to see about that um see if paulina can make daddy's bed up in the spare room and all this sort of stuff but they are all pretty traumatized so it's not too happy bantery <laughs> happy banter. but anyway um i go back to theo the tensions building um and um and then uh basically he's just been a bit uh, he's just been a bit sort of whiny. Do you know what I mean? But he's just sort of saying you don't understand. There's there's bigger fish here. That Nakatomi was just the beginning and all this sort of stuff. Ooh. And um and then we get sort of a Terminator style tank crashes through the wall of the reception. Um so this tank has been going through the streets of uh, LA crashes through the police station wall. Um the McLean family are actually part of that. They don't actually get run over, but they're they're in the rubble. Um, no, no, yeah. <laughs> that would be a twist. I always tease you with that. I? <laughs> it's
1: like the whole family, just including John, in the first five minutes, just squashed dead. That's
0: it. I know how much you hate that when you just undermine the end of the last movie. Um, well,
1: if they like right in the first scene, like they were arguing and they'd be like, "I want to divorce you, got it That would be the ultimate. <laughs> oh.
0: And then um, we've got at that moment when when we hear the shake, like we're back to the interrogation room and obviously the station shakes a little. And they're like, what the fuck was that kind of thing? And Theo's whole demeanour changes, you know, and he goes from being the weakling in a pure 80s switcheroo, you know, to suddenly being Mr. Nails. Demeanor changes. Uses the distraction to headbutt one of the guards, steal the key, yada yada, all that kind of stuff. Damn. You know, there's a shot fired. He ducks, disarms the second guard, shoots him in the head. Maybe a Jesus. double tap. He's really he's the man, basically. Um, Lucy McLean is sort of the first McLean out from under the wall in all of this. The shots are being fired and stuff, and police are being killed by some of these characters from from the tank. Um, and, and essentially Theo and the crew make their way out of the building and he spots Lucy and decides to, um, to take her as collateral in that moment. So they take the kid and make it get away. And McClay, Matt Howell has not been shot, let's be clear as well here, like he's, he's made out to, um, but you know, Willis, the group, they all manage to dust themselves down, um. And, um, and and actually Willis dusts himself down before anyone else has really had a chance to recombobulate, Um and so he's chasing after the tank barefoot down the, the street as the tank drives away with Lucy in it and obviously Theo, and, and as he's sort of standing there and we've got the tank driving away, it just does the old boom, Die Hard 2, exactly wow. the same font as Die Hard 1, by the way.
1: So <laughs> oh, I know you love it. I know you love it. Yeah.
0: Um, and we pick up straight away, you know, Al's looking very mournful. Um, police cars are in chase as well. Um, and um, and and then basically, uh, as Al's looking mournful and he's looking at Willis and Willis is like, what the fuck's just happened, you know? And we get another FBI stooge just sort of saying, actually, and they're doing like a bit of a count, you know, and they're like, we're down a truck. Where are the Bear Bonds? Like that. And essentially, um, we cut away and like I said, the Barabons are also being driven in another convoy. Um, and so, um, now, look, I figured, you know, we could make Theo a very sort of fun character here, Sheppi, and you could do a whole... It could just be Die Hard 3, and Willis has to do a Simon Says around New York, you know what I mean, and just bloody that that's it, you know, and solve riddles with Al. That would be a fun movie to watch, right? And, yeah. um but, but that's not going to be this movie, so... Uh, right. but- <laughs> Fair play. Um, but um, so really, I've got it. kind of act one is sort of a cat and mouse act where we've got a disheveled John, obviously, um, an owl trying to get the terrorists working together. I've got Theo as the uber villain. Um, and um, and basically they're just what what, what the first thing that Theo does post the chase is that they, they wait for the the other crew to show. Um, with the bonds and then another terrorist cell arrive and they've basically got a bomb on them, which they're going to use the bonds to pay for. So that's kind of what the bonds are actually for, if you like, in the in the bigger picture game. Right. Um, and, um, and and this bomb has got a deadly virus within it um, that, that will basically wipe out LA, but they decide to, um, well, actually, that's probably a bit dramatic. Let's just go for a, a pretty decent block, you know? Um, right. And maybe their overall objective is, um, I think here, it's a German terrorist cell here. And, um, and we're going for, um, we're going for their objective might be World War Three. You know, I don't know if you uh, have done much of a Norm Macdonald dive since he passed Sheppard. But he's got a wonderful, wonderful stand up routine on um, uh, David Letterman's last night. Uh, he comes in oh. and does a routine that's fucking amazing, and he basically he does, I'll give you one of his gags because it plays into this. <laughs> um, one of his gags is basically, um, you know, you know who I'm. You know, some people are scared of the Iranians and the Iraqis and all this sort of stuff. I'm not scared of those guys. I'm scared. You know who I'm scared of? I'm scared of the Germans. <laughs> you know who they started a war with? Some of you might be history buffs out there. Some of you might not. Goes, you know, who they started a war with back in 1914. The world. <laughs> and the way he does it is really funny. And then, it's so funny. And, uh, and then he keeps going on around. You may have thought that like, maybe we might have just disbanded that country on account of the fact that they kept starting a war with the world (laughs) like you know that's who they had a beef with and it's really funny so i just figure let's keep the germans having a big old bugbear with the world and um so their objective is world war three they're going to bomb disney world on christmas day at the christmas day parade um and that's that's their big plot um that's why I, i scaled the bomb back so they're going for a good old packed area where they can have maximum impact um and um, and I figured as well. Look, when we come to do Beverly Hills Cop Three, which will be a very special day, Sheppy, um, I'm not going to go to a theme park for Beverly Hills Cop Three. So I'm playing my theme park card now, and we're going to have Die Hard in the theme park for Die Hard Two. Um, I haven't, you know, um, thought about all the machinations, but of course Willis gets into Disney World, and of course he picks off the bad guys one by one. I can, um, I, I, I've just got one. Um, thing that I thought of for this in terms of one of the set pieces could be you know one of those cowboy ranch stunt shows that they have at these Disney Worlds and um and he's like you know he's firing his gun during the show to try and clear the people out of it yeah, but it everyone is- just thinks it's part of the bloody you know <laughs> act you know they don't clear the park so um and then look Theo is killed I haven't even worked out how he's killed before he can detonate the bomb, but was Theo
1: doing- is hardcore in this can hardcore. I say by the way um very quickly that um I like the whole hymn, like some sort of cowboy stunt show and someone saying, hey, who do you think you are, John Wayne? He goes, John Wayne? I'm, I'm Roy Rogers, motherfucker. Uh, that, <laughs> that, that has to happen. <laughs> and since Disney won't own Fox for like at least 30 years at this point, you know it's going to have to be like a Wally World or something. Then you know, you're know you not going to be able to have McLean dressed as Mickey Mouse, but you can have him as Marty Moose or something
0: that uh, that that's okay <laughs> and Sheppy, i don't really have much more than that in terms of I, i'll just say that you know it it obviously mclean follows the plot obviously lucy is rescued there's no death of a kid here or anything and um and then obviously word is faxed probably at this time of technology evolution to our man boris Gruber, who is going to exact terrible revenge on this not going through in uh in Die Hard three um and and that's my little uh, diehard two bubble old buddy. But um, <laughs> so
1: did you say that Theo is the main baddie in over this?
0: the whole film? Yeah, in the wow. film, yeah. he's 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 yeah. He shakes off his spectacles and becomes Uber Uber. Yeah,
1: yeah. Wow, Uber Gruber, that's great. <laughs> that's great. I mean, fantastic. Very nice.
0: Very. He is he a loose thread from Die Hard in some ways. Yes. you know. Um, but he is uh, a survivor. And I always like that about how exhausting 24 is. Just keep punishing poor old McLean would be quite fun into the next day, you know. Um, and I, I think his daughter being kidnapped, he'd have enough energy to push through and get through that. Yeah, yeah.
1: he can have yeah. a power bar and a Red Bull and just get it done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's great. I like that Die Hard very much. I like the fact that it starts off straight away. Because you don't have to. You could have it like the following summer and he's with his family and they're in the Disney type park and then it gets taken over and it could even be Theo. You know. But I like the fact that it's immediate because, yeah, fuck him. Let, let's get him running around with like his horribly hurt feet. And he's absolutely fucked and exhausted. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's. Great. I wonder
0: as well. Like, um, I mean, there's definitely opportunity to get some cash from a trainer sponsor or something. You know, Nike will throw some money at this to give McLean some comfort on those poor old souls. But I, yes. um, but I, I can't help but feel like Nakatomi is one of the most iconic movie buildings, isn't it? And you know, if the tech caught up and you were able to just go, you know, we do the digital de-aging of the actors. But imagine you could. Do it. Like there's actually just something so cheap, thrilling about you go to watch Die Hard 2, you don't even know what it's about. And as soon as it goes boom, like you're looking at that building you've seen yeah. from another angle so many times, so many Christmases yeah. you've rewatched it, and you are just going to get exactly what happens next. I just like that sort of stuff sometimes, you know, like yeah. it's just it's nice to go yeah. back back to the future two styles so the things that are yeah. iconic around it, and you know. You and see just, it,
1: but it's just slightly different. Out. Yeah. Yeah, it's like seeing Phantom Menace for the first time and having a different scroll. It was such a bizarre experience, like at the beginning, like the familiar music, the familiar yellow and the writing, but just different words. It was a, I remember it was an out-of-body experience. By the way, I'm sure people know this. I mean, this is, I'm sure you know this, but yeah, the Nakatomi building is the Fox building. So if it was made by any other company, it would be bollocks like the universal building round the corner it's like a car park rubbish so yeah that was lucky <laughs> uh, i love it when you were mucking around without matthew perry in la did you see the bit, the fox building around century city did yeah, you see it was amazing time? yeah nice yeah that's that's tasty <laughs> like, yeah yeah me too you see it from a distance and you do feel like owl Powell. the fact that i saw it from a distance made me even more into it because i did feel like i needed to go to a like a gas station and buy a twinkie because it was like it's my my would because it's yeah it's you don't want to ever right go now. in the
0: lobby and see it different do you i no. don't want to be in the lobby if no. they
1: don't have a touch screen uh like uh, you know index that <laughs> I, I want my money back yeah.
0: The only way I'll accept that is if they've got a, a manual screen or a manual book or something to sign in, but it's got a Bonnie McLean in it, and then I'll be happy. Or oh, Gennaro, she, excuse me. <laughs>
1: but
0: that's what I mean. Like They're, they're together and everyone's happy. And she's oh, married, that's nice. that. oh, that's nice.
1: Oh, happy ending. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's nice. No story. Yeah, I've said this before, but someone pointed out, you know, he goes in there, He does the touch screen. It's a nice way of telling you in a very nice way of exposition, very organic, that she's changed her name and he goes to M and then he goes to G. And it's a nice thing also showing that this is like a sort of like a high tech building, especially for the late 80s with touch screen. That's a big deal. But then the guy is like, they're all on the thirtieth floor. They're the only ones left in the building. The claim should be like, motherfucker, why did you not just told me that? He's like, use the screen. It's like, okay, what was the point of that? You just wanted to show off. Thanks. So that's that would annoy me straight away.
0: Now, Sheppy, I'm conscious that was not as cooked as I'd like it. So I have got another one for you as well, Ooh. if you want to hear it.
1: Oh yes, please. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is going to be diehard in a supermarket Sheffy, nice. Just to be clear. now, um I, I Mr. sort of summerfield. <laughs> yeah, well that's it. amazing because I've put it here I appreciate hot fuzz. I had a lot of fun with this also is what I've written here. But also
1: but, I, I honestly mentioned that because didn't you work in a summer field? Yeah,
0: for several years of my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well I wanted to do die hard in a supermarket, which had a, the mist style vibe to it, where it's so uber relatable. You go to the supermarket, shit kicks off, you are stuck. It could happen to anyone anytime, right? And I, I figured that would be just really awesome you know, to do is a sort of a, a thing, every man, total every man in a diehard situation. That should have been what I wrote. I didn't write that. <laughs> I ended up going off on one in a really, really silly way. Um, and I don't know where it all came from, so I'm sorry. But, like, there is another movie I'd love to do one day, which is not this movie. Um, but anyway, so we have Mystery Shopper is the title of the movie. It's directed by Renny Harlan. Um, and um, so I'm going with the Die Hard 2 um and uh so it, but it's 1995 it comes out so we don't get cutthroat island I don't think anyone's crying over that um I'm,
1: and, i I have a tear. I, have one <laughs> tear
0: I always wondered like how did he get Die Hard 2 and I look back at his canon and he had Nightmare 4 Nightmare
1: yeah yeah 4, so. speaking of Stephen Hopkins absolutely
0: yes what a yes. lovely connection yes. so anyway yeah um, so we okay here's your cast we, 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 we few uh, little callbacks coming to the Die Hard franchise but let's just start with someone who should have had a bigger franchise or a bigger movie thing Dennis Quaid as our main guy so and and then Melanie Griffith so it's a real husband and wife thing and she's not married to him in this but she's just another store mom you know in there we've got Samuel L Jackson in his pomp well, not pump, actually, pre-pomp, kind of just post-loaded weapon, I'm guessing, and kind of pump right. and
1: getting big as what, our main... What life. year? Sorry, did you say this 95, was? 95. 95. Okay. Yeah. So Samuel L. Jackson, it would be Die Hard with a Vengeance here.
0: Yeah, fair play. Two out of the Well, he's playing the villain here, so he's the main terrorist. And right. um, we've got a... What I'm thinking, I'm just trying to remember where he was at, but... I don't think I'm going to get him, but I'm, I'm I'm going with Brad Pitt as as a as a guy called Walter, who's like your slightly slightly simpleton in the supermarket. Um, I'm trying to him to get him to go his burn after reading energy, you know, just a little bit of a a, 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 a handsome geek. Um, and then I've just gone with like Lisa Jacob as the the eldest eldest daughter of Mrs. Doubtfire, who maybe now oh. our, you know our most <laughs> our most cast lady um, uh, <laughs> twice. <laughs> Yeah, as Quaid's daughter. So um, we start off like classic. It's just straight in there in terms of, you know, Quaid and the daughter turning up in the car park into the supermarket. They're, you know, they're, they're shopping around. Um, lots of suspicious little silly activity going on. They might see Elle Jackson out of the corner of their eye, like just wondering, looking a bit suspicious, maybe picking up, a, you know, some, some uh, perishables and putting them in the wrong shelf, something really, really evil like that and um and then, like between quade and his daughter they're um they, they're they're kind of they're walking around obviously shopping but you know with the shopping you you establish you know that the mom has passed away and um he's now a single parent dad um they get to the aisle with some cheesy string you know that stuff in the can and, um, and uh stuff. and she's being she's really acting up and and he's like um You know, she's like, can we get this? And he's like trying to penny pinch a bit. And she's like, you know, mum would have let me get this. And they have a real actual parent-child fight. You know, it's not like they're commando having ice creams (laughs) and happy times. Like they're not, it's a bit frictious. Um, And anyway, then she uh, takes the cap off. And um, she's about to put it in her mouth, you know, about to squirt it. She squirts it, it goes off to the side. Like, and he's like, oh, you've just got you got to put that in the trolley now, you know, he's just really at it, his wits end. Now, of course, <laughs> this is where I had that vision, and then I thought, Oh well, I have to do this then. Of course, flash later. She's going to be in a situation where she's like, absolutely got a terrorist with his arm round her neck, and, um, <laughs> and and she'll have kept the the silly string in her uh, sorry the cheesy string in her pocket, and Dennis will give her the nod, <laughs> she'll fire the string like like the knife in True Lies, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, amazing. I'm just trying to think of a cheesy comeback. <laughs>
0: By the way, all your lines are amazing in your diehard all of them, talk about a frosty reception, I mean, Jesus, anyway, um, the um, I, uh, so at the beginning, still beginning, don't worry, I haven't got like, off of one really too much here, it's just, it's quite like this, um, in the beginning there's a moment where Quaid's still pre-shopping, pre-takeover moment, reaching for a frozen lasagna or something and it's wedged and then maybe and you can't get it out and it's hurting his fingers and <laughs> then. And maybe a nice man fellow shopper comes past, maybe Willis (laughs) in a cameo comes over and gives him the old, just make fists with your fingers (laughs) and you'll be able to get it out. Classic. (laughs) 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 Fists with your fingers, of course there'll be a callback to that. Of course there'll be a callback to that. Um, And then, um, so anyway, we have a disgruntled ex-employee. He's been fired, I guess, um, and this is L. Jackson, and as, as Quade is at the counter paying, similar to your, you know, Willis nearly getting out, um, he's checking out. L Jackson and the crew come in. Chaos takes down the, um, the supermarket. Um, very, very tense standoff ensues. Um, the store manager, played by our man, Reginald Bell Johnson, Al Powell, um, checks to see what's going on. Possibly he's holding a box of Twinkies <laughs> that he's just been putting out. Um, but, um, but he's like, you know, um, yeah I, I love this like this is just a moment that I had in my mind where basically he's holding lots of Twinkies he's like I'm the store manager you know what can I do you know and uh and uh, basically Samuel Jackson is trying to have his big tirade about being fired and everything and um and basically he um and this might even be in the uh <laughs> in the trailer but people keep interrupting him and he's like god damn it and, uh, and so he shoots one person <laughs> in the chest then our pal comes along and uh she, he says what's going on i'm the store manager whatever he shoots him in the chest twinkies everywhere and Samuel Jackson just goes next motherfucking customer please <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know, <it's>, anyway. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great
0: um, anyway and then um,
1: that's vivid so
0: it turns out that his his agenda is 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 not necessarily the money out the back. This is, I should have said at the beginning, a hyper hyper market. So we're not just talking about a Summerfield Tesco's job. Like we're talking about a, a supermarket called, I've called it K-group which I Googled, and is the biggest retailer in Finland. So I'm just thinking maybe Rennie, you know, might have bought some bananas that never properly write. <laughs> he's really bitter about it, so he calls it K-Group. Um, but anyway,
1: K-Group sounds legit baddie like, name. That, that's great. <laughs> Welcome well, to K-Group.
0: <laughs> hold that thought, Sheffy, because they're basically, um, they're not after the money. They're actually after the big boss, who they um, they know is on on the premises that day, kind of doing a a mystery shop, an undercover shop. Turns out Melanie Griffith is the mystery shopper CEO. She's on an undercover visit with her daughter. And, you know, I was thinking, would they know what she looked like? And therefore, but probably not. Who knows what the bloody CEOs of these places look like? And in the 90s, she'd probably be the wife of the CEO kidnapped, but not here. She is the the big boss of the group. Um, Anyway that is outed she's suddenly in peril obviously um and um and there's a bit of pandemonium at some point and I'm thinking possibly it's triggered by our man Walter played by Brad Pitt knocking over some um you know some tin beans or something <laughs> and, then, and then everyone scatters a bit of machine gun becomes a bit of a then that your cat and mouse starts and it's Kate Quaid who of course is an ex-cop um protecting Griffith and uh Her kid and like, you know, all scurrying around the the, the aisles and the the, the panels up top and all that stuff. So, I mean, I've just put how many here? Six for sure. For sure, a scene in the cooking utensil aisle, probably not as good as the John Wick uh, knife throwing, but let's just have some fun Um, for sure. Maybe, um, actually, probably, given what I've now done with the ending, this won't happen, doesn't matter. For sure, a baddie gets skewered on the rotisserie. For sure, a a baguette or two swung like a mallet. For sure, a fist with your fingers moment in the freezer itself. For sure, a helicopter escape plan on the roof of the supermarket. For sure, Walter uses the car park trolleys to pin a baddie. Um, And maybe it'd be like Tomorrow Never Dies style, where the baddie has about 20 minutes to escape and just keeps going, (laughs) (laughs) ah. Um so anyway, it turns out, and this is my last little para, Jackson's plan is to is to take her money um for a crazy scheme that would be like green renewable energy or something, you know, in the nineties, you know, and uh, and, and anyway. When Quade sort of gets wind of this, he's like, what's really going on? And it turns out, actually, <laughs> this is so stupid. It turns out, actually, it's like the game, finishes the game. And, uh, and we have actually, um, you know, Jackson is a good guy he's actually had good intentions and the whole thing has been jackson being the ultimate mystery shopper to test the security system everyone has a laugh Al pal gets up with his squibs on he's actually like hey <laughs> even the trolley guy dusts himself down everybody's really happy <laughs> no one's really That's died sick. it's all been squibbery and um and then l Jackson and Quaid have a moment at the end where, like, you know, l Jackson shows shows his badge and he gives Quaid, you know, the we could use a guy like you and all this
1: sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's a genius! What a twist! I didn't see that coming, and no one will. That's great.
0: <laughs> a double whammy on mystery shopper shell. Can
1: I give a quick, quick? There's like a tiny list here of the yeah, diehard. hard films. Yeah. Um, so, where would you set like a die-hard ripoff type thing? Um, I thought, you know, I'm sure this has been done. In fact, I know something like this has been done, but Space Station or rocket heading to the sun. I also thought of a weird, this isn't really a Die Hard film, but maybe like, you know, it's like Amiga Man, or, you know, it's like The Last Men on Earth, and it's like Die Hard on Earth, and they have planes and things, but it's just that, I don't know, that, that, these are all just rubbish. Um, Die Hard at a university, uh, kind of toy soldiers, with uh, teachers being secret baddies and the head teacher being the Gruber, um, and of course all the students you know there's one student who has the uh, luxury Dubai type mega hotel uh, with all sort of intricate stuff uh, I also thought this has never been done as far as I'm aware but like a medieval set diehard film like Die Hard in a castle but it is proper of the time it's like a siege at a castle and it's that John McClane type in the castle. Oh, believe this, and it's like swords and arrows and catapults. You know, someone obviously being catapulted into a wall. Fuck me, they didn't make it. Christian Slater would say horses, of course, maize uh, boiling oil. You know, that sort of thing, like a mace to the face, um, that could work. Um, so anyway, there's that, and no one has mentioned Beverly Hills Cop three, and I think that's for the best. <laughs> Well, that was wonderful. I like, I mean, you're, you're the, the hypermarket type thing as well. Yeah, no, that, that's great. It's got some equaliser
0: juiciness, isn't it, to it? I mean, if you really yes. think about it, yeah.
1: Yeah, you could really go for it, full on. Uh, no, I love it. I love it all. I love it, and I love you. This is great. Um, do you have um, the, 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 the topic for, for next week? I'm very excited to hear this.
0: I do Sheppy and it comes down to us including one thing on the, the our little Facebooky sort of cover landscape that we have for shoulders of giants and we we undenard you and I about whether or not this individual should be on there um you'll know who that individual is momentarily but um but yeah he he is on there and he is also awesome. um, and you might have to look twice to find him but basically Sheppy I'm going to give you uh, free reign. On this but what I'd love you to do well actually no I'm going to be slightly tight on the rules I, I basically want you to come up with a Muppets version of something that exists as a classic text now you can interpret that any way you like so we've got the Christmas carol it is there I'll give you a, a, a possible spoiler alert that I'm thinking about a Muppet Summer Night's Dream or nice. equivalent Maybe, but I'm going to keep daydreaming on that and just see whether I really want to go down that route. But um, I'm I'm seeing Gonzo as a bottom type character being quite, you know, a muppet. Yeah. I want like, you to yeah, reinvent uh, a classic text, put the Muppets where they go, and any gags you've got, obviously, just free range, I think. But you um, you, you, you are much more across the Muppet canon than me, but I, I'm sure we could both have a bit of a laugh with this. And, uh, it's yeah. the Treasure
1: Island, it's the Christmas Carol, and then it's... I'm, I'm loving it. I will say, one pub game which is fun is, like, do any film, let's just say Die Hard, But like substitute either one character with a Muppet. So let's say you substitute McLean with, and I'm going to say Kermit. Seems you know that would work for me. So it's exactly the same. It's shot exactly the same. All the other actors are all exactly the same. It's the same film, but it's Kermit as McLean, and that's one thing. Or what the Muppet Christmas Carol maneuver, where it's basically Bruce Willis is John McLean, and he's exactly the same. Everyone else is a Muppet. Like, you know, who's Gruber? Who's, you know, who does Gonzo play? All of that. And, you know, who is Tenagi? You get shot in the head and all that. The blood is still the same. And you can do that with any, you know, Star Wars, obviously, or anything, or Bond. That's a fun game, so I recommend for any listener. Oh, man.
0: Piggy is Holly. I think Fozzie would have to be, I'm going to get his name wrong, I'm so... Lewis No, uh, the guy the Coke guy, you know. Um, yeah, I
1: always want to say Lewis. Maybe it is Lewis, because you then think, oh am I thinking of Lewis Tully? I think it is Lewis, it's a Rolex. Him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hart Brockner is the actor. <laughs> but um Fozzie is him. It's a Rolex. <laughs> yeah, that could work.
0: <laughs> it's a Fuzzy who's my favourite, you know. Yeah, me too. Or Gonzo is your yeah, your oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: as Theo. Yes. Or, you could, or Scooter has to be Theo, I think. Yeah, that's,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Good show. That
1: works. Um, <laughs> I can see it all. Yeah, no, that, that's limitless. That's that's the whole two hour podcast right there. Maybe we should um, have that as the last fast. five
0: minutes of every pod. Who was who? Oh, amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah, great. Yeah, the, the shark is a Muppet, but everyone else in jaws is someone else. <laughs>
0: actually no Fuzzy has to be Al Pal. come on he's got to be Al Pal, is not he if, lovable if yeah,
1: and... it works yeah it works um Sam the Eagle could be uh Dwayne the oh, thingy yeah, amazing but maybe Rolf would be a good Al Pal. That, that I can see because he has a nice friendship with you know that, but again that that's yeah, it's open. I like it I like it a lot um the thing is, with the Muppets, it's you have Piggy and you have Janice. And then there are other female Muppets, but it's really those two. Uh, but luckily, so many films only really have like one or two notice- noticeable strong female character that that kind of works out. <laughs> so that's a shame. But there, there you go. And then you can have some people doubling up.
0: I'd love to do a Ghostbusters with the Muppets. And it would be... Yeah. Well, that's... Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's solid I have a real thing for Kermit this is probably for next week <laughs> because it's the Muppets but I, I you know, it, it inspired me so I love it um well that's great Jim Though I can't wait I'm loving i am loved it oh, I should say just in case I forget to mention it on the next podcast I have a Muppet uh t-shirt but they're all the characters from Firefly uh so Kermit is Oh, metals nice. and, and everything it's, it's, it's solid and it has um, the um, boil the uh, burn the land boil the sea you can't take the lover the dreamer from me um, written on it it's, it's and it's fire frog. it's pretty goddamn pure so just yes. that's in line with what we were just saying it's lovely I love that t-shirt it's great and I'll try and remember to wear it for the next one <laughs> it's a podcast. <laughs> uh, brilliant Jimbo I love it. Um, I love everything and this was very nice.
2: Thanks. So Shippee. so sweet.
1: Now how do we how do we sign off? Like, I don't know, like is there a, a good sign off for this week that you can come up with?
0: I mean, I think it's just Yippikaye.
1: I suppose so. I was so proud last time not to use it, but yeah, Yippikaye, chemo savvy, that works. <laughs> good on I T V We we'll just leave it it's... as Waka Waka. <laughs> oh, well,
2: Shoot a quick results ahead.
0: We'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at shoulderspod.com or shoulderspod on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook.